What's up, everyone? Welcome to Roughly Polished, a somewhat professional and somewhat for funsies podcast where we discuss all things brains, arts, and different cultures. That is what we do here. Yes, we do. <laughs> um, this week, we're talking about mental health. Important things. Important things. Because, you know, mental health is like a big issue right now in our society. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and there's also a big push for mental health, which is great. I'm glad yes. that they're um, recognizing it as, you know, a biological health. Finally. Yeah. Because <laughs> it very much is. Um, and uh, mental health and uh, allostasis was uh, m- the most interesting thing to me that I learned <laughs> about in uh, my undergrad of neuroscience. <laughs> uh, I love that. That's good. Yeah. I'm so. glad you were passionate in, in something that was so important. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. (laughs) That flattered my ego so much. (laughs) You're welcome. Oh, God. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it's also safe to say we both work in mental health. Yeah, I work in psychiatry, so very much. (laughs) Yeah. I work in psychiatry. um, So my job is, you know, (laughs) mental health. (laughs) All about mental health. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I work as a behavior technician for Mm -hmm. kiddos on the autism spectrum. Um, I don't know if I would count autism spectrum as being a part of mental health, but I think that people on the spectrum definitely go through a lot of mental health traumas or like issues Mm -hmm. in their lifetime. Gotcha. Um, and not just because of the disorder itself, because, you know, every, every kid with autism that I've known has always been very happy and very kind, (laughs) but, um, I think societal, expectations and what people deem to be normal has created um a narrative for kiddos on the autism spectrum and that i think that has affected them a lot gotcha yeah yeah i also disclaimer (laughs) i don't want to speak for the autism community Mm -hmm. at all i just work with the community so i feel like i know some things here and there but i don't want to be like preaching ASD things here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think Quick a, disclaimer. Yeah, a really good um, and important thing to note is that, uh, you know, this is a sort of just us talking about our experiences and yes. our insights on mental health as people who both work in the field um, and also, you know, have had our own oh, <laughs> our yeah. own journeys with <laughs> mental health. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is more just something from experience, but if it relates to anyone or is able to help anyone then i think that's mainly the goal here oh yeah for sure yeah yay cool uh love that (laughs) (laughs) so uh i think uh, another thing to address too is accessibility of mental health oh my gosh yeah (laughs) it's uh, like i said earlier it's definitely gotten better throughout the years um i think a lot of it is attributed to social media um, a lot of influencers, uh, honestly, it's great that they post and are open about going to therapy yeah. and uh, pursuing mental health resources because I think, especially as someone who grew up in a Filipino household, um, it's uh, more of a difficult thing to address on your own. And so, like, seeing other people do that is a great thing. Yeah, Asians don't talk about mental health. Yeah, man. Why <laughs> is that? I want to know. I don't know. <laughs> Asians don't do. talk about a lot of things because I feel like we're very results-driven and mm. we're very acceptance-oriented um, right. as a culture. And, of course, there's different facets of each different ethnicity 
um, within that umbrella of Asian culture. But I think uh, sort of uh, the collective thing is that, you know, a lot of people do not talk about mental health. They don't talk about anything taboo or negative because they're very um, assimilation-based in America. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So... (laughs) Uh, yeah, we will. We can. We can get into that. Definitely <laughs> too. Um. Yeah. So I don't know. It's all very interesting. It's all I think important to discuss. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I say this also like a mostly lightheartedly, just because I think it's <laughs> it's a heavy topic in uh, a lot of cases, but I think uh, it should. Uh, be something that's discussed openly yes um, for sure. and it doesn't always have to be a huge serious thing to talk about yeah yeah I man agree. so what misconceptions do you think there are about mental health um i think the biggest thing well for me personally mm-hmm. i think one of the reasons why i felt like i couldn't open up about my mental health was being seen as quote-unquote weak uh, like mentally weak in a oh. sense, where uh, external things could have that much effect on my mental health, and mm-hmm. that would be- make my mental state weak, I guess. I see. Um, I think that's one, a big stigma like, for men mm-hmm. and mental health, too. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, yeah, just being seen as like emotionally weak or just mentally weak, I think that's just a huge stigma that people face when it comes to... I think that, that just deters people from... Um, seeking help right most of the time yeah um that definitely made me not want to seek help when i should have seek like sought 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 is that the word yeah sought (laughs) sought sought out help when i should have um but yeah how about you what do you think um i feel like that's definitely something that contributes to the stigma Mm -hmm. of mental health um, this whole concept of uh, weakness and, you know, oh, just uh, <laughs> drink water. <laughs> yeah, literally. Drink water. Oh, no, don't be sad. <laughs> you know? Super helpful things. <laughs> yeah, exercise, <laughs> oh, which, you know, are all uh, helpful things, you know, yeah. positive mindset. Those are all sort of um, things that are used to maintain. Yeah. If those you're are in a good place. Strategies. Those yeah. are coping strategies for different people who seek out those types of coping strategies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think they can definitely be coping strategies. I mean, coping strategies also come in all different shapes and sizes yeah, as well. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it, um, no one, not everyone's going to find exercise to be their coping strategy. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, I will say those things um, from like a scientific neuroscientific <laughs> standpoint <laughs> are very important things in like a maintenance and upkeep mm. of your brain health um, of course they're like you know oxygen intake uh, that is increased with exercise is really good for your brain water of course we need water to survive that's very important yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, vitamin D is also a huge thing with serotonin so those things are definitely undoubtedly like factors in your mental health but they are not going to fix everything and i think that's really important to address and in terms of coping strategies i feel like for me they're more (laughs) behaviors (laughs) okay (laughs) my coping strategies are like uh, cleaning my entire (laughs) living space (laughs) 
at like midnight <laughs> because it makes me feel like I have control over things. Oh, do you have any interesting coping strategies? Mm. I like to talk to myself a lot. Oh, <laughs> word. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think um, something something that helps me a lot with my anxiety like anxious thoughts and feelings uh-huh. is playing out situations oh. and conversations in my head just talking to myself i see um just so i can let out those thoughts and feelings gotcha. because i think um one of the other things that people say in terms of like advice for mental health mm-hmm. and just yeah mental health is to is like write in a gratitude journal or uh, something or uh-huh. write in a journal um, as someone who I get frustrated when I try writing with oh, my hand really? because it doesn't go fast enough. My oh. hand will not go fast enough to compare to those thoughts that are going in, inside my head. That's super interesting. So I like to talk things out. Yeah. That's why whenever I have a problem, I go to, to a friend just so I can like vent uh-huh. or I'll just like talk to myself like out loud. Ah. Um, I, I think that's going to make me sound <laughs> <laughs> like I, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's like the main thing that I do as a coping strategy, I think. Also, oh, I, I go to the gym like every day. Ah, uh, you like a gym bro? I am Super a gym ripped. bro. <laughs> Lily's yoked. No, I'm not. <laughs> I one day hope to get yoked, but I think I am on the journey to get there. Nice. But I think the gym and also physical exercise is something that i use as a coping strategy as well i see um, it lets out a lot of stress for me which that's is nice. good yes thank you yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah i recently took up kickboxing Ooh. that was very helpful you're good I've to had, let the aggression out yes uh-huh. i have a lot of pent-up aggression <laughs> and kicking and punching a bag really helped i definitely felt a lot better after it so if anyone else finds that they have you know lots of pent-up anger and if they like to exercise try kickboxing very fun <laughs> that sounds really fun it's I so try fun. Kickboxing. Yeah, kickboxing imagine five foot me <laughs> all five feet of me you're gonna get a lot of aggression at you <laughs> oh god uh, that'd be so good that would be a sight oh god i love that yeah, yeah that's so interesting that you mentioned you don't like writing when you're you're anxious or upset about something mm-hmm. i'm like the complete opposite yeah it's like i feel like writing because it takes a little bit more time i think it helps me to really process what i'm feeling mm. so a lot of the time like i'll write music i'll write like a little <laughs> blurbs on my tumblr that i no longer use <laughs> except for when i'm upset Ooh. She's so on Tumblr, guys. It's hilarious. I'm still stuck in like 2013. Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious, actually. Quite the <laughs> mode of expression. I'm not gonna lie. That's good though. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think uh, for me, I'm the opposite. Where I feel like writing helps a lot. Because it helps, because I'm, well, see, the thing is, I feel like you're a very expressive person and I'm not. Yeah, that's So true. Uh, <laughs> you're very much more likely to, you know, wear your heart in your sleeve and your emotions are very much uh, um, apparent. Out in the open. Yeah, out in the open. And uh, you're more comfortable being vulnerable like that than I am. Oh, yeah. So I feel like uh, writing is uh, um, something that's more introspective mm. and I don't have to share it with someone if yeah. I don't want to. You see, what's interesting <laughs> is that I used to be that. Really? Yeah, I used wow. to be like that in Wow, how'd school. you grow out of it? 
that's yeah that's the also another interesting thing is that in high school i was more like you where i would not talk about my feelings to anybody okay i was the opposite bro <laughs> i used to be more like you and now i'm this way oh god yeah what happened i don't know Ugh. that's what so happened? funny because i think i i also feel like i'm too expressive sometimes where oh. i will literally cry to everybody and anybody <laughs> um and you know that's not if I'm at work, I shouldn't be crying to my supervisor while I'm, like, working with a kid. But I have done that before. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's... I think it's... I just, like, swung way too far in, like, one direction where I would just, like, not talk about anything that's been going on in my in my mind. And then all of a sudden, I just, like, swung the other direction. I see. And went to, like, the other extreme for some reason. Interesting. Um, but, yeah. That's but wild. I, yeah, I used to be like you, and now I'm not. <laughs> that's wild. Okay. Yeah. A follow-up question with that is, do you think your personality has transformed? Because maybe mm. that has sort of transformed um, simultaneously or as a result of your personality shifting. Yeah, I definitely think so. I am more of an introvert now. Or I not see. introvert, extrovert now. Ah. I'm more of an extrovert now. So I think that's why I like to see people and talk to people about these things in sure. person. Or over the phone, I guess. That's wild because I've been an extrovert always. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know why that's the case. I don't know. Maybe it's just environmentally um, how I've been shaped. And so yeah. maybe I was in an environment when I was younger where I was more open. Mm. And then like once I got to... Co- oh, you know what I think it is? Is I mm. feel like once I got to college that's when I started to close off a little bit more um but I think that's also just because I didn't feel comfortable sharing such personal things with people that I had just met ah you know whereas like uh, the friends that I grew up with I had known them from kindergarten Mm -hmm. through high school yeah so maybe that's it (laughs) maybe that's why yeah or just maybe just personal life experiences that made you want to close off oh maybe i just learned (laughs) no one can be trusted (laughs) i'm just kidding people can be trusted i'm I'm working on it it's a personal problem people can be trusted Uh yeah i think i if we're gonna get into like more personal things right now i suppose like personal mental health Uh stuff that we've been going through sure i've been going through lots right now (laughs) just like the past just 20 2021 in general lots of things um but i think i've because i've gone through lots of difficult mental health issues recently i've also learned to realize that a lot of people around me want to support me and that oh yeah. so cute it's been a nice feeling like you and oh other my god i'm my, happy to support you <laughs> thank you <laughs> even like my boss at work mm-hmm. like stayed after hours just listening to me like talk about a breakup <laughs> mm. and i really appreciated that and just you know and i wouldn't have known i had such a big support system if mm-hmm. i didn't like open up and like started crying out yeah of nowhere, like all the time um, so I guess that's like another little tidbit. Maybe if you just start crying <laughs> out in public, <laughs> you will open up to people more. Just kidding. You know, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I'll, next time I cry, I'll go out in public somewhere and I'll let you know how it goes. Okay. <laughs> 
That might be bad we'll advice. No, no, no. Okay, you know, advice is advice. If it doesn't work, then uh, you know, I'm maybe like, it's just I'm not halfway joking about that advice. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, take it's it with fine. a grain of salt, but nonetheless, taken. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Anyway, love moving that. on. Um, another thing that I think is something that's often misconstrued about mental health, which I also mentioned earlier, is that it's uh, all in your head. Uh, um, I hate that. Yeah. Especially with having a, a degree in neuroscience. <laughs> mental health is very much a, a whole body reaction. And I think that's so so crucial to recognize <laughs> and be cognizant of because it's just ah oh god yeah. anyways <laughs> yeah like panic attacks are not not just in your head they're yeah they're just not in just in your head <laughs> cortisol she's a different bitch <laughs> our girl cortisol <laughs> who is she yeah um anyways i uh okay so i'm about to geek out a bit because uh, this is uh, quite honestly my favorite i find it so so interesting <laughs> and fascinating and intriguing and important and applicable to everything <laughs> geek um, out man Do yeah it. so what happens it's called the allosteric response. Um, so effects of allostatic load on the body, that's basically the effects of stressors on your bodily functions, your physiology, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have too much cortisol, which is the neurotransmitter that's responsible for stress. Cortisol is basically what's released when you're stressed out, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what gives you like the stressy feeling. You're like, oh shit, I'm stressed, right? <laughs> yeah. But that's a sort of a manageable thing if you're only having a little bit of cortisol, right? Because that cortisol, um, it's released and then your body will manage it you'll find uh, something to cope and uh, you lower that cortisol level and it'll all be regulated in mm, yeah. sort of um, like an acute immediate stressor. So let's say, I don't know, I'm stressing out about a homework assignment and then I turn <laughs> it in and solution, I'm chilling now, right? Stress is gone, it's yeah. done, it's over with. My cortisol is uh, whipped back into shape and it's like, nah, man, we don't need you anymore. We're good. <laughs> but the the bad thing is if, is if you have too much cortisol. Mm. So what happens is if you have too much cortisol, um, your parasympathetic system, which is sort of, uh, they use a term like rest and digest, mm -hmm. which is like uh, basically your nervous system kind of slowing down, right, becomes more reliant on body symptoms that are, or sorry, body systems that are more um, primal, I suppose. Mm. Um, things that you don't have to think about actively doing. Right. Um, so like your heart rate, your breathing. breathing, things like that. If you have too much cortisol, your parasympathetic system will overshoot. So your body will start to shut down, right? Mm. So your <laughs> your breathing is going to slow down, right? Your mm -hmm. heart rate's going to slow down. You're resting, you're digesting, you're chilling, but it 
becomes a little bit too much if that system overshoots. Yeah. So that's really not great, (laughs) right? (laughs) And uh, the cortisol abundance is usually caused by chronic stressors. So things that are happening constantly, things that are happening frequently. So that's why I think depression and stress is so common in students, right? Yeah. Because they're being constantly bombarded with tests, uh, timelines, finals, midterms. God. Don't remind me. <laughs> we went to UC schools and we're on quarter systems. Yep. <laughs> so that was, you know. Oh, boy. Constant cortisol all the time. Yeah. That was that was a time. It was a time. <laughs> that was a time. Oh, good God. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But, you know, th- I think that's why it's so, so common in students because they're constantly having these things to worry about, these uh, different assignments to turn in. Um, having the pressure of, you know, financial things with, uh, I don't know, clubs, social life, all of this stuff all factored into one place at one time in your life. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens also is if you have too much cortisol, um, it'll inhibit the pre um, or orbital frontal cortex of your brain. And basically, that's the brain region that's responsible for decision making and sometimes emotion as well. Mm. And sometimes um, like social evaluation. Ah, yeah. Interesting. Right? Yeah. So too much cortisol will... Uh, sort of inhibit you from being able to regulate your emotions Mm. right which is why some people um are having more difficulty you know just being happy that's why that's (laughs) not great advice right (laughs) is because that part of your brain that's saying oh you know what i just i'm gonna be happy today that part of your brain is being inhibited Quite literally. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, you know, that's uh, not great uh, (laughs) advice all the time and not always applicable. No. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, a big yikes if uh, you've ever given that advice, which I'm sure it was with good intention, but, you know. Yeah. So that's fun. Um, Decision-making also, sometimes people have a little bit worse judgments or more difficulty um, having good judgments. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, if they're Definitely. dealing with a lot of stress yes. and that's because that brain region is also still inhibited right mm. and it also reaches into different things like a uh, down regulating uh, protein function which of course then affects other systems in your body that are protein reliant which is every system in your body <laughs> <laughs> really it affects your sleep cycle so normal circadian release of cortisol would look like higher levels in the morning or daytime um, and lower levels at night so that's what you know neurotypically you would be having a certain amount of cortisol in the morning Mm. and then uh, that's uh, something that helps you to wake up and be like okay i'm gonna start my day right yeah um and then that'll sort of uh, die down as uh, you reach nighttime and you're gonna go to sleep Mm. and relax right Uh uh-huh so our body has a sort of a preset amount of cortisol that we're supposed to have and if you're overstimulating that cortisol release all the time what's gonna happen you're never gonna sleep you're never gonna sleep right you're always gonna be stuck in that dineural uh, cortisol state so that's really bad if you don't get (laughs) REM sleep yeah because what happens in REM sleep is your brain is you know re 
um, storing all of its functions. It's cleaving unnecessary synapses. It's strengthening synapses that we need. Mm. Um, you know, strengthening those. When I say synapses, it's neural connections. Yeah. Um, strengthening those cells that are important and functioning. <laughs> and if your body <laughs> isn't able to do that, then it's kind of difficult to function, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, chronic stress overall doesn't have the greatest effects. Um, it's very much a whole body response and it results in really difficult things to deal with in terms of your brain health as well. So mm. it'll result in sort of these negative adaptations. So it's going to be more difficult for your brain to create neural connections, to acquire new information and release chemicals as it normally should. It'll result in adaptive plasticity, which is basically the inhibition of neurogenesis. Um, so new neurons are not being able to produce or multiply, right? That whole thing is suppressed. And there's also a lack of neural remodeling as well. Um, so, you know, when you acquire new information or you learn a lesson, right, your brain cells will sort of rearrange in a new network and they'll be like, oh, hey, I'm going to connect to this new cell, right? Yeah. Um, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to shift. We're going to rearrange <laughs> and make room for this new information. Um, that makes neurons sound so cute. <laughs> right? They're, they're adorable. I love them. <laughs> we love our neurons. We want to keep our neurons healthy. But it's really difficult for the neurons to make those alterations mm. if they are having too much cortisol. Got it. So, yeah, it's a really chronic stressors that we need to be um aware of and uh, <sighs> that sleep kind part with. that sleep part especially mm-hmm. that like hit home <laughs> yeah with me particularly yeah oh, yeah so i guess when you have okay for me personally mm-hmm. i am pretty much nocturnal if i could be nocturnal i would be oh um because I have noticed that my anxiety and stress becomes higher in the nighttime. Mm-hmm. And that's why I have trouble sleeping. So I'm guessing it's because, I guess for some people, like if their cortisol is being overstimulated, then mm-hmm. their levels will continue to just stay stagnant or increase as the day goes on. Mm-hmm. It d- depends, I guess, right? On- Absolutely. Got it. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's very good to know. Um, your girl hasn't been sleeping. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. No, when you wake up, your body is like, all right, we have a certain amount of cortisol in our system. And then as the day goes on, that cortisol level will drop, right? As your yeah. body okay. is going through its normal processes and metabolizing and doing all these different things. You're getting acclimated to your day. You're getting in your daily routine. And they're like, you know what? We're good. We're not stressing. <laughs> No more cortisol for us. Got it. Um, yeah, but those chronic stressors can definitely have an impact on that. Got it. Mm-hmm. That is valuable information. Yeah. And it, I think it's really, um, really interesting, too, as people don't really acknowledge the difference between chronic stressors versus acute stressors mm. because the chronic stressors are things that are happening constantly, day to day. Um, you know, excessive stimulation. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, acute stressors are things that are just happen 
um, sort of like spur of the moment, right? Yeah. Acute stressors would be like, uh, hmm, I made a wrong turn and <laughs> <laughs> now I'm stressed. But you know what? That's fine because we can turn around and make yeah. a different turn. That would be an acute stressor, right? Because it's mm. once, it's one and done. <laughs> Those are the things that are more manageable. Right. Um, and acute and immediate stressors are more likely to manifest as memories and adaptations. Mm. Um, so those things are more likely to activate your hippocampus, which is which is sort of the region responsible for a lot of memories, mm-hmm. right? And you're more likely to learn lessons from those acute stressors. Mm. So those things will sort of manifest as uh, lessons, life lessons, right? Uh, Contingency-based behavior. Yeah, (laughs) adaptive behaviors. And because that part of your brain that's responsible for reasoning and uh, emotional regulation, that orbital frontal prefrontal cortex, Mm -hmm. um, because that's not inhibited, right? Because this isn't a chronic stressor. It's still active. You're still able to make the decision to learn from it and alter your actions based on what just happened. Yeah. So there's a complete difference between acute stressors and Mm -hmm. chronic stressors. And uh, I think that's something that also needs to be stressed. (laughs) That was not meant to be funny, but (laughs) that's something that needs to be emphasized rather. Um in terms of mental health yeah and being able to identify one from the other Mm. yeah for sure definitely man anyways enough (laughs) with my neuroscientific jargon we love it though (laughs) thank you i enjoyed that because now you know we can put i can put at least me i can put my personal experiences with stress and mental things Mm -hmm. with science and potentially come up with um like solutions i guess Mm. yeah so that's been helpful i'm glad (laughs) i'm glad because i'm like how how the hell do i lower my cortisol level Mm. so that's been helpful Mm. okay just kidding amazing thank you of course yeah (laughs) yeah so very helpful how would you say you've gotten to your own state of mental health right now like what has your Uh, mental health journey been like throughout the years uh, oh boy (laughs) um that's a hard that's a very loaded question (laughs) um i think if we consider i think we both have similar experiences when it comes to our cultural background and what our cultural background um, views mental health um, because coming from an Asian family I'm, I'm 100% Japanese I'm first gen mm-hmm. um, mental health wasn't something we ever talked about growing up mm. so I guess I didn't learn effective coping strategies as a child mm. um, and so I have developed memories that were my I went to therapy last year mm-hmm. and I guess things that happened in my childhood my therapist said seemed traumatic um if they are okay like I don't <laughs> I, I don't really see them as traumatic personally mm-hmm. but I could definitely see why it would have it, that sort of impact on my current mental health um in terms of especially in terms of um how I view my family and my parents especially mm. um but because I didn't learn those coping strategies as a child, I think it made it harder for me to develop more effective coping strategies as I got older. Mm-hmm. And I would even say that the coping strategies I had in high school or even now aren't 
I guess, you know, everyone's coping strategies doesn't have to be at a certain, um, like, normal age level. But I would say maybe my coping strategies now aren't as mature as I would like them to be. Um, And maybe that's because I wasn't able to develop certain coping strategies as a child. um, Because I was kind of taught to just suppress everything. And then at one point, I just kind of, like, exploded. And so my immediate response became aggression or anger Mm -hmm. and that's not necessarily a healthy thing (laughs) to suppress those anxieties and stress and then just all of a sudden have an outburst um so that was that's how i was like as a child (laughs) Uh, lots of tantrums (laughs) uh what do you think is the biggest thing that has worked for you in terms of maintaining good mental health ah um i guess normalizing the fact that mental health is normal Uh, (laughs) practicing good mental health strategies or just coping strategies in general that's Mm. normal and that should be something that's normalized in society and Mm -hmm. people shouldn't um i guess shame people for needing time to themselves to you know regain energy or just de-stress in their own way um i think that's I think when we are, because we are in a society where that's becoming more and more normalized, I think that's been helping me a lot personally in terms of dealing with my mental health issues and also going to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just the stigma behind just going to therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, that was also a really big hurdle too, because um, even when I start, had told my parent, my mom especially, that I wanted to go to therapy, I think because of her cultural background and being um, Japanese and not coming from a society where going to therapy was normalized. She was just kind of like, why? (laughs) Like, why do you need to go to therapy? Mm -hmm. If you're fine, you're fully functional. That doesn't mean you need therapy. But, you know, being fully functional doesn't mean that there are internal things that can be dealt with, right? I see. I think my current job also helped me a lot in terms of... um, seeing these coping strategies and the need for mental health intervention mm-hmm. becoming more normalized because that's what I do as a job I um I implement behavior intervention strategies for these kiddos who um who can learn these different behavior behaviors and skills right definitely um and one of these skills is coping strategies if you know if a you know a kiddos throwing a tantrum because they're um, upset, you know, teaching them to verbalize if they have those words or, mm-hmm. um, you know, deep breaths or hand squeezes or um, asking t- for space or, you know, all these things. Um, just being able to you um, just teach these kids these strategies and being like, oh, I can use these strategies too. Mm-hmm. And that's a completely okay and normal thing to do. That yeah. helped me a lot too. Definitely. Um, so I really appreciate the kiddos that I work with because <laughs> they taught me lots of things. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, great that you're able to um, work in a field where, you know, you're able to gain things from your work experience Yeah. Um, <laughs> and from the people that you work with as well. And yeah. then, you know, sort of self-reflect and be like, oh, you know what? Like I can implement this in my own life as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
because a couple months ago, a few months ago, um, I had gone through many life changes that were stressful mm-hmm. and that caused lots of anxiety. And I had told one of my supervisors these things and she just texted me really quick being like, those coping strategies that you use with the, you know, our, the kids and clients that we work with, you can use those too. Like mm-hmm. during sessions, if, you know, just be like, hey, let's do deep breaths and count down from 10 or something. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, you're right. I could use <laughs> these things for myself when I'm feeling anxious or stressed out and they've been helping. Mm-hmm. So I think having that realization and having um, a, a different mindset where mental health is being more like normalized more, mm-hmm. I think it's been helping me go go through these life situations I'm going through now and overcoming them in a more healthy and effective way than I would have when I was younger. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Your girl's been going through it, but she's going through it (laughs) in a healthy way, hopefully. (laughs) Grow through it. Grow Grow through what you go through. Uh (laughs) Um, But yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. How would you say your mental health has evolved throughout the years? (laughs) Okay. I feel like, oh, you know what else I think is Hmm. a really... uh, um, Something that needs to be approached with more sensitivity and tact as well is uh, mental health in adolescent ages. Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, because the thing is with adolescent ages, I think it's really easy once you're an adult and you've gone through all of it and reflected and been like, you know what, that was nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really easy to look at a kid who is going through all of these adolescent changes and mental health uh, changes Um, and be like oh no like you're crying over nothing right because you've worked through it Mm -hmm. but I think it's uh, it's so um, imperative to recognize that kids who are going through uh, um, adolescence and consequently mental health uh, um, hurdles they don't have control over that. It is quite literally <laughs> a biological and neural function that they're experiencing mm-hmm. and adjusting to. And um, it, that doesn't... Just because uh, you've grown up and self-reflected and been like, oh, like I made it, I made it out okay, mm-hmm. um, that doesn't mean that the struggles in terms of mental health of... Uh, kids who were in their early stages of life are any less valid because they're not any less valid Mm -hmm. um they don't have control over those things it's a biological thing Mm -hmm. if they were able to control it they would Mm -hmm. right um so i think it's it's a something that definitely is important to be gentle with and be mindful of um when uh, kids are going through mental health things because it's so easy to just brush it under the rug or brush it off your shoulder and be like oh no you'll make it through it's fine yeah but you know if you're that age it doesn't always feel that way Mm -hmm. yeah what's a little deal to some adults might be a big deal to some kids exactly yeah yeah um so that's a that's a huge thing that i think should also be uh, pushed out into the open <laughs> and accepted and understood yeah. um because yeah. a lot of kids they remember oh like, absolutely all, all the things that adults do when yeah. they were kids they remember mm-hmm. especially if they have some sort of mental effect 
on them. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely remember. Definitely. So they're very impressionable. And you have a, a lot bigger of an impact on that kid's mental health than you think. Yeah. So <laughs> I think it's uh, something that should be very carefully approached and delicately approached as yeah. well and kindly approached. Definitely. Um, but anyways, <laughs> <laughs> I would say when I was a very young probably like a nine or so um i think uh, i wouldn't i don't see this as a thing it's like uh, me reflecting now and thinking what well, was i depressed at, a, <laughs> at nine years old um that sounds kind of ridiculous because of the stigma and narrative that we've built right but i feel like a you know puberty i wasn't in the greatest mental state <laughs> most Um, kids aren't yeah and i think i had a lot of like body image issues due to you know the toxic asian comments oh my gosh (laughs) of family members Um, it's always (laughs) it's all it's always the grandma saying keep eating none of the grandma's also saying you know why yeah. are you skinny? <laughs> no, no, no. It was my parents. <laughs> oh, got it. <laughs> yeah. And they would just like make snarky little comments like, oh, yeah. you're still hungry? Like, yes, I'm still hungry. I'm a growing girl. <laughs> Girls got to eat. Yeah. You know, my relatives, when I would see them, you know, of course, the Filipino families have a lot of gatherings just mm. because we're a tribe, <laughs> pretty much. All the relatives being like, oh, my God, you look so healthy. <laughs> wow. But that's yeah. really them saying, oh, my God, you look so so bad yeah <laughs> well you gain so much weight huh yeah. it's always either healthy or big uh for me it was big oh i see yeah because they would say big in order to say like oh you're like tall because i was pr- a tall kid growing uh-huh. up but they also meant like oh you're like tall and fat <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah. i know you, for, they would yeah. always say like uh <laughs> what is a fun one they would say they would say like uh Oh my god, you got your mom's legs. Oh, <laughs> Which god. is like backlash. Her. Not you only me. And your mother. But my mother. Yeah. <laughs> um oh, no. Yeah. Or like they'll say things like, um, no no no. They would my grandma would be because my grandma is a curvy lady. Yeah. <laughs> my grandma would be like, Oh, you got my body. And I was like, okay, well that's sort of like not helping either of us, yeah. your grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, girl, but uh, <laughs> what what you trying to say? <laughs> yeah, love that. Fun. Yeah. yeah. I so why uh, <laughs> we grew up in a generation where there's so much body image issues. Oh, God, help. Uh. <laughs> I will say though that because I went through that at such a young age, mm. I was literally nine years old when my parents were starting uh. to be like. You you should not order that at a restaurant. <laughs> Poor baby Jilly. Uh, I think because I went through that at such a young age, I grew out of it very quickly as well. So I was sort That's of good. over the... I mean, nobody's really um, completely ever over their body image issues. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> I think I uh, had come to terms and uh, um, accepted myself at a lot earlier of an age than my peers did because of that so i am grateful for that it was a lot of (laughs) self-growth yeah um but of course that had like impacts on my mental health at a young age right yeah definitely so there was that (laughs) (laughs) love that high school i was pretty chill and i think the only big mental health hurdle that i faced 
had a school ingrained and embedded in it. Yeah. So it was all very homework and studying and college admissions related and right. all of that kind of stuff and balancing because I did a lot of um, extracurricular stuff in addition to being very hard on myself academically. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The way that I would describe you when you were in high school is confident. Thank you. You seemed very confident in high school. That's such a compliment. <laughs> yeah. Aw, thanks. Yeah, of course. Like, that's how I saw you, like, around high school. I was like, wow, like, Jillian's just doing her own thing. Oh, my just, God. Like, Thank you. Thriving. Yeah. That really makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> Aw. <laughs> thanks, man. You're welcome. Yeah, I feel like I was uh, very much more stressed out about, um, you know, honestly, I think that's when my anxiety kicked in. <laughs> Not that I've ever been, um, I should rather say feelings of anxiety because mm. I've never been diagnosed with anything, but at the yeah. same time, because I grew up in a stigmatized household, I never went to any mental health uh, clinicians or yeah. providers. So at a certain point, I think, um, I, one of the things that I've seen kind of jumping around in terms of debate is whether or not self-diagnosis is like, okay, not I necessarily see. okay, but you know, should be accepted. Uh, um, because there are certain, definitely certain things that can be self-diagnosed, like uh, my misophonia. Uh, <laughs> um, that could be definitely diagnosed, self-diagnosed. Um, but you know, if because, so, like again, the whole accessibility thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some people just don't have access to a therapist, right, or someone who can diagnose them with all these things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, I think for me, I feel like it's a important that i don't self-diagnose right away though Mm. um and uh, call myself a person with anxiety because i don't want to discount or misrepresent anyone who has been diagnosed so um for now i will say um i had a lot of yeah (laughs) feelings of anxiety um that were a lot related to my perfectionism and being very hard on myself in terms of my work ethic and Mm. academic performance because I'm I've always been very results driven Mm. so that was that (laughs) (laughs) and then in college I think uh, my first two years I was doing pretty well Mm. um new environments meeting new people socialization is a huge component of mental health as well especially Mm -hmm. for me since I'm very extrovert um, so I think I was doing really well. I was struggling a lot academically, but I think what uh, um, I experienced in a mental health dip there it made up for in enjoying my new environment. Mm. So I wasn't in too bad of a place really until my third year. Oh boy. <laughs> my third year was really rough because I was commuting to school. So my commute to school was about like a an hour and a half one way jeez yeah long? Mm-hmm. oh because of traffic and rush hour traffic on yeah. like a three-lane highway that's great yeah. okay <laughs> fun every single morning i would wake up at 5 a.m to get on time to an 8 a.m lecture oh my gosh <laughs> yeah and i would get home at like uh, probably 11 or so mm-hmm. and then on top of that i had to study and so I was barely sleeping at all, which right. you know, one is an impact on your mental health. Yes. <laughs> um, I was also living with family again at that point. So I had moved back home and I quickly realized that the family members that I had left two years ago to 
moved to college um, were not the same as I had left them. Mm. And so it was, and you know, after going through a long period of self uh, realization and growth and um, developing your own sort of routine and morals and uh, understandings of the world, it's hard to go back to what you came from. You know, it's hard to grow in an environment that isn't growing with you. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that. Um, it's definitely hard to move out of your parents and then move back in with them yeah. after being independent. Definitely. Like, I'm definitely grateful, so grateful for everything that they provided me. But it was still a lot for me to handle at the time because I was working also part time. Mm-hmm. I was also full time students um, taking probably like four or five classes a quarter um (laughs) on top of that because i was working and because i had classes and i was involved i had board member positions in two of my student orgs which Mm -hmm. was a lot of work i barely ever saw any of my old friends anymore because we were on such different schedules yeah which of course is a big impact on how i was feeling um because i'm such a people person yeah yeah, it was really hard trying to balance all of that while on zero sleep and then my parents expecting me to be okay. I was really <laughs> literally struggling every day, yeah. <laughs> almost falling asleep driving home, um, not eat- not having an appetite and then just binge eating when I could afford to buy myself food. <laughs> it was a rough time. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So that was, and quite honestly, like working in psychiatry now and knowing all of the symptoms and being able to um, like understand what all the symptoms are of depression, mm-hmm. I can honestly pretty confidently say that I was depressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um and i have come to i would have never admitted it Mm -hmm. at the time yeah so that's another thing is i think uh, the cultural stigma and environmental stigma um had a big component in me not wanting to accept that i needed help yeah yeah so that's fun (laughs) but we're much better now i'm at a good place right now i'm working i my the four years of college have come to an end so that stress is done yep (laughs) it is now just the stress of pursuing grad school but that is as much stress as i make it out to be right yeah 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 so i think i'm doing pretty good now i think a big thing that helped me um sort of accept and understand what i had gone through is uh, removing myself uh, from that situation Mm. um but it did help me like it did lead me in very uh very growth oriented directions Mm. it it led to a lot of good that's good yeah yeah i'm glad you're able to see to see that now thank you yeah hindsight is 2020 (laughs) (laughs) sight at the time was not the best (laughs) yeah but it's more helpful to have that mindset of learning from it yeah than being resentful absolutely and it's difficult for people to be able to remove themselves from toxic situations as well (laughs) um but yeah i think that also has to do with mental health accessibility and a lot of privilege and social class and you know racial 
things and so many (laughs) so many different layers of um, deterrence yeah barriers Mm -hmm. yeah especially now during covid times the amount of therapists that are available Mm -hmm. are slim to none Mm. because i have checked (laughs) Mm. um because because we're in a worldwide pandemic yeah a lot of people have been going through a lot of mental health you know troubles yeah um and it has been very troubling times for many people Mm -hmm. um that's why i think there's such a big question whether or not self-diagnosis should be accepted but that's you know a debate all in itself and in a maybe for a different podcast yeah (laughs) and i think that debate is not for me to touch (laughs) (laughs) okay i don't think i'm necessarily qualified to speak on that uh topic because you know i think it's a, d- a careful line to cross yeah it, maybe we shouldn't talk about it <laughs> i am not qualified to talk about it either i mean if you feel that you are experiencing symptoms of depression or anxiety um or ocd or any sort of mental health uh, disorder then you know it's a good thing to be aware of that and uh, it'll help to figure out what you need yeah you know i guess for me my biggest not i guess advice or mm-hmm. just suggestion for people who are considering self-diagnosing themselves mm-hmm. with something um is to look through the dsm-5 mm. is it five right now or six mm. i think it's still a five I think it's five yeah. yeah to look through the dsm the dsm-5 which is the diagnostic manual for like every mental disorder mm-hmm. um and they have like a very specific list of things that needs to be checked off in order to be diagnosed with a certain mental disorder Mm -hmm. so maybe that could be a different i don't know like a a solution i guess for people who are considering looking into having a mental disorder Mm -hmm. um but yeah but just be wary Mm -hmm. (laughs) of self-diagnosis yeah be wary of self-diagnosis unless Um, it's misophonia because if you have misophonia you know you have misophonia (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i have misophonia (laughs) i don't think i have misophonia you don't Um, thank you (laughs) i think (laughs) if you have misophonia we would have already had a discussion about misophonia and you would have told me your trigger sounds ah um I have one trigger sound and that's it. Oh, what is it? It's uh, the sound of Velcro. Oh, interesting. It quite okay. literally makes me nauseous. Oh, okay. And I, which is weird too. I don't know what the, <laughs> what the weird wiring is in my brain that has resulted in this. But when I hear the sound of Velcro, this sounds so <laughs> far-fetched and made up as well. If I hear the sound of Velcro, I have this scar on my chin from Mm. when i fell and got stitches but i have a scar on my chin Mm. and it makes my scar ache oh interesting yeah wow it's weird interesting i wonder what's making that part of your like i don't know body like make that physical reaction that's a great question maybe my like cells that are um responsible for touch uh, perception in that area have wired into the same brain region as um what what caused that scar I fell on, um, so two things. Okay. <laughs> when I was five, I was at my grandparents, five, four. I was small. Yeah. I was a toddler. Yes. Um, <laughs> I was at my grandpa's house and I tripped on a stair 
and mm-hmm. I hit my chin on the next stair. Okay. So, so there's that no association. Split open. Yeah. Got stitches. And then when I was nine, this is a funny story. We can divulge into that another time. <laughs> it's a, it's, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Anyways, when I was nine, I went to the Philippines with my family. I was on a water slide. <laughs> And I slipped and fell and hit my chin and it split open. And I had to get stitches in this little tiny clinic um, that had, I shit you not, one needle in the <laughs> entire clinic. And uh, they broke the needle while they were stitching me up. And so they didn't even shoot me up with any like a pain numbing or oh anything. No. Yeah. Um, they broke the needle while they were stitching me up. Had to send someone out to go get a needle while I'm just sitting there with a broken needle oh in my God. chin. Um, that was fun. Oh boy. Cause yeah. Okay. I, if, you know, if you had a story where you were like, oh, like I was wearing a bike helmet and that like oh. dug into my chin or something, then I would understand like why Velcro. Sound association? Yeah, like Velcro yeah. might be a sound that was triggering. Yeah, here, no, it was no. water, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it was water and it was stairs and stairs. I don't know why I have this strange aversion to Velcro now. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe that's a misophonia. Quirky girl things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you had, I don't know. I... I don't know if like misophonia has like severity or anything, but I'm sure it does. Everything has some yeah, sort that's of severity. True. Mine, I don't know. I don't know if mine's pretty severe or not. I, I've had mm. to. So one of my a very common misophonia trigger sound is. <laughs> you know what? I just what? thought of what? This so stupid. What? <laughs> my chin scar aching is yeah. like Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter's little forehead lightning oh my god. <laughs> I'm Harry Potter, but with chin Velcro. scar. With Velcro. Yeah. He who must not be named. Can you <laughs> Can you imagine my chin scar lighting up when oh. I hear Velcro? His scar doesn't light up. What are you talking about? Yes, it does. In the movie? <laughs> movie yeah okay that's where the visual component is coming from for okay me. okay okay in the first movie like in the when yeah. he's a baby yes it did light up but yeah. it doesn't typically line up uh i don't think you have misophonia maybe like, just that one just like that one like velcro sound <laughs> i've got a drop of misophonia yeah, drop. <laughs> yeah like i don't know like how severe it like, we're just like the severely the severity level or just like how to measure the severity in terms of misophonia mm-hmm. but one of the very common tr- trigger sounds for misophonia is the sound of chewing for oh. people who chew with their mouth open. Mm-hmm. And I've literally, I've, I went to UC Irvine um, and we, we had like this little cafeteria area mm-hmm. um, where people just like, you know, we're all students, they go to, to eat everything. Right. And I've had to literally like bolt out of that cafeteria area because I've heard, I heard like someone chewing very loudly no. and I've had like I have very like angry reactions uh. to my trigger sounds and I get very stressed out and anxious yeah. um but yeah I don't know where that comes from either mm. because uh, yeah like where does misophonia come from like I what don't know what causes that would so be much an... like sound aversion yeah you know? and also I um, edit the podcast episodes so Cheers. I can <laughs> I can fully attest that all episodes will be misophonia friendly <laughs> 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 because I will edit out every mouth sound that either I or Jillian <laughs> has ever made <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you for that. Yes, of course. We are misophonia friendly here. We are misophonia friendly. We are misophonia and mental health friendly. Heck yeah. Yeah, man. You know what else is a big thing with mental health? Well, this is sort of just in general. I mean, it's sort of a known thing. Everyone feels like they need to be accepted as well. Mm. So I think something in terms of uh, social approach to solutions, a big part of it would be accepting of other cultures and Mm. other people's circumstances and just actively trying to have more empathy in general for Mm. people. Yeah. Another thing that I feel like I wish society did more was to accommodate people with um, mental health disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, and I think I say this as a person who has seen and experienced um, people on the autism spectrum disorder, mm-hmm. um, which isn't a mental health disorder. But um, I think it, I seeing how these people don't get the accommodations that, that they need in school or in out in public mm-hmm. um i wish there was more awareness for you know people who are neurotypical who are able to make accommodations make those com- accommodations for people right who need them yeah and you know hopefully we're g- going towards a direction where society can kind of be accepting and recognize people who do have mental health disorders and be empathetic and willing to accommodate for them definitely yeah yeah i think um it's it's really important to make those active uh, decisions to try and include others um they shouldn't feel ostracized just because they have sort of some neurological you know difference in networking yeah um yeah so that's a big thing yeah just in general too i think that's why a lot of people who are sort of in marginalized communities are more like sadly predisposed to mental health disorders and they don't have as much access a lot of time to mental health resources Mm -hmm. a big part in mental health is uh, as a society is acceptance and Mm -hmm. empathy and compassion for other people and understanding their circumstances and what they're going through and having an open mind to that yeah so yeah hopefully we can all just love each other yeah man (laughs) honestly be friends for real bro nice (laughs) yeah and i think uh, another thing too i would say with uh, my own experience when i went through that really difficult third year of college Mm -hmm. is i felt like my lifestyle and a lot of um my priorities changed and um things that i was worried about were so unrelatable and so just out of sight out of mind for a lot of my old friends which is why i grew apart and Mm. you know didn't get to hang around them or like they didn't understand things i was going through and if i tried to talk to them i couldn't because i just knew they weren't going to understand where i was coming from Mm. Um, i think an important thing is if you see someone who is going through mental health things is just listen (laughs) you know (laughs) you don't have to provide input or insight unless they ask for it Mm -hmm. but just having someone who is willing to listen to what you have to say and validate it 
and uh, be like, yeah, no, that's that's uh, understandable or, mm-hmm. you know, you're valid in thinking or feeling that. Being an active listener, too, and uh, just overall being mindful of other people's different uh, life paths and things that yeah. they're going through is something that we need to work on as a society. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's very true. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I will say sometimes, you know, like you had a very specific life event that happened to you that had a very, uh, had a huge impact on your mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say like sometimes when you do share, you know, different life experiences that are really hard for you Mm -hmm. and, you know, expressing those to other people, sometimes it makes you feel less lonely knowing Mm -hmm. that people have gone through similar things. Yeah. Um, And when, you know, it's, nice to have advice when you ask for it too yeah but only if you ask for it (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah but you know it's nice to feel like you're not alone also Mm -hmm. and i guess that's another thing too for anyone who listen who's listening who's going through some stuff yeah man you're not not alone dude (laughs) you're not alone normalize emotional expression For real. Please, I'm begging you. For real. <laughs> yeah, uh, man. Um, talk about it in schools. Oh, yeah, that's another big Teach thing. Teach about mental health in schools. That entire scientific spiel that I just gave. Yeah. Relevant information, no matter if you're a neuroscientist or not. Yeah, very. Like, I'm <laughs> not a neuroscientist, and I learned lots <laughs> from <I'm glad>. your <laughs> spiel. Yeah, it's, it's so applicable to everyone's lifestyles. Yeah. So, please, stay teach about it in schools doesn't have to be in depth or just you know all i'm asking for is blanket knowledge (laughs) please i think that would also just create a new generation of people who are one going to be more accepting of mental health but also i think if you teach kids at a younger age Mm -hmm. you know different ways to deal with their mental health struggles they'd be able to progress more yeah be able to you know like function better Mm -hmm. just in life in general and just you know be happier probably like if they know how to deal with all of these you know stresses and anxieties and depression Mm -hmm. at a very young age they're going to be better off in the future emotional intelligence man yeah that's another thing to build in schools not just not just uh academic intelligence but emotional intelligence important Um, (laughs) imagine how many cool and awesome and innovative things we can do as a society and how much progress we can make if we all just help each other be happy (laughs) you know yeah i will say there is like an optimal amount of stress to have for productivity Mm -hmm. oh definitely which is also like a part of um (laughs) the whole scientific model of allostasis right but Imagine if we were all at that optimal level mm-hmm. and we all helped each other get to that optimal level mm-hmm. of uh, cortisol and <laughs> yeah. productivity. Um, we could do so many cool things. Help us help you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just be nice to people. Be nice to people. Please. Please. <laughs> be kind. It's not hard. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard of like the little bucket filling book? Bucket filling. It's a it's a new children's book that I love a lot. Uh. It's about um how people carry around buckets 
throughout their lives and yeah and throughout their day and when you fill someone's bucket and say kind words and do nice things for them it also fills up your bucket oh yeah that's so cute yeah and when you do something that takes out all that happiness from someone else's bucket you Uh also lose some of that happiness in your bucket too oh yeah so you don't want to spill your buckets I so see. fill someone else's bucket fill your bucket man yeah <laughs> that's that's like a very big fill like these damn buckets <laughs> that's a new children's book that's been like very popular lately that i've been really enjoying reading to the kiddos yeah <laughs> it's a good one this episode will be called fill your damn bucket <laughs> bet bet <laughs> that'd be so good yeah man um i think also <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> um, I think also if we include mental health in our educational setting, um, <coughs> good man. it'll yeah, it'll help to destigmatize it a lot. Oh, definitely. So please, there are so many benefits. <laughs> yeah. Or you know, if you're a parent now, it like, starts at home. Yeah. Like, <laughs> utilize all these things in home. Yeah. So your child... Stop with the cultural stigmas. I've had enough. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Uh, just let me let me go to therapy without judgment, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I need to go back to therapy. I feel like I should try therapy. Because I've everyone never... everyone should try therapy. Yeah. See, that's, that's the thing that I've been hearing. Mm-hmm. So, I feel like... If I tried therapy, I would mm. really like it. Yeah. Because I, I will say, um, like, uh, one of my coping strategies as well is, like, immersing myself um, in environments with a lot of people. Mm. So if I'm, like, feeling um, anxious, a lot of the time if I'm anxious is when I'm by myself. Mm. Um, <laughs> that sounds a lot worse than it <laughs> was intended to sound. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> um I feel like if I were to have someone that I routinely talked to about my problems Mm -hmm. for the purpose of talking about my problems and working through them, I would love it. (laughs) I think whether you think you're neurotypical or not, I think everybody will benefit from going to therapy at least once in their life. Yeah, definitely. Um, Because it's always helpful to have that outside perspective on your life because Uh everyone in your life friends co-workers parents whoever they all have some sort of bias yeah. in their life and going to a professional who is unbiased in everything that's been going on in your life has is really helpful mm. yeah people go to therapy if it's you know accessible to you uh-huh <laughs> do what you gotta do to be happy man yeah unless it's harming other people <laughs> yeah. yeah do what you that gotta too. do to be happy fill fill up someone else's bucket and fill, fill up, up your them. bucket <laughs> i think that's my takeaway for people listening yeah fill yeah. the damn bucket <laughs> yeah that's my yeah in the notes you asked me what i wanted to say to the people this that's what i want to say to the people nah. fill buckets fill the bucket yeah yeah that's it (laughs) and then i would say my takeaway from this also mental health is public health yes repeat it everyone (laughs) mental health is public health mental health is public health thank you (laughs) you're welcome oh yeah anyways i hope y'all gain something from this hopefully Um, hopefully you don't feel very so lonely anymore. Yeah. Hopefully you took something out of it. I hope you fill your buckets. Yeah, fill, fill your buckets. And, you know, keep 
the helping others because it helps you and it helps everyone and we can get through it together (laughs) yep yep okay bye okay bye